Guys, we're doing it. Welcome back to another episode of the House of Walrus podcast. Now, I know it's been a minute since my last episode, but I am beyond excited to give you guys my thoughts on some hot button topics in sports over the last few weeks. In the NBA, man, these playoffs have been nuts, by the way. I'll try, I'll try my best to break down some important games with some important series down the line. And in the NFL, Julio Jones is a Titan. What does this mean for the Titans going forward? And can they be Super Bowl contenders? I'll break that down a little bit too. And speaking of tr- trade sweepstakes, Aaron Rodgers has been at the center of trade drama in the NFL for the past couple of months. Where will I think AR-12 will go if the, Pack- if the Packers actually trade him? And finally, in the MLB, I'll give you my all-star vote, but with a bit of a twist. So, without much more ado, let's get things started. So, in the NBA, today, or in the, in the, in the next few days, we don't have just one Game 7. We have two Game 7s. It's going to be crazy. I'm so excited for this. But for the first Game 7 I'm going to break down for you guys, it's going to be tonight at 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific, I think. And it'll be the Milwaukee Bucks going up against the Brooklyn Nets. Some key things to keep in mind here is that one head of the Nets' three-headed monster, Kyrie Irving, will be out of this game with an ankle sprain, and that the home team, or and that the home team, has won every single game of the series. So that means two things: that James Harden and Kevin Durant are going to have to do heavy lifting for the Nets, and that the Nets' home crowd at Barclays Center in Game Seven is going to play a huge role in who wins this game. With that being said, though. You can make a legitimate case that one of these teams can win this game, and I'd be perfectly fine with that. But I'm actually going to go with the Bucks on this one. The trio of Giannis Antetokounmpo, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton are heating up at the right time, and although and although another 49-17 and 10 performance from Durant could very well be plausible, I just still don't think that would happen in this one. In my opinion, if, if the Bucks didn't trade for Drew Holiday, I don't think they'd be in this position whatsoever. He's done so well in this series on both sides of the ball. Throughout this series, he's averaged 15.5 points per game, 6 assists per game, and 5.2 rebounds per game. Even though the overall numbers don't look as pleasing as you might think they would be, let's look at one game to really tell the full story. Game 6 at home in Milwaukee. He had 21 points, 8 rebounds, and 5 assists. But he also had a whopping 4 steals, which ties his playoff high for the season. I'm expecting big things out of Holiday in this one because if he doesn't perform well and Giannis and Middleton fold, the Nets are the ones heading to the Eastern Conference Finals instead of them to play the winner of the second Game 7 I'm going to talk to you guys about today, which is the Atlanta Hawks going up against the Philadelphia 76ers. For this game, I think it could go in a number of different ways. Can Trey Young carry the Hawks on his back to their first Eastern Conference Finals appearance in six years? Or can Embiid quiet the haters surrounding the 76ers and not being able to close out the Hawks sooner and head to their first Eastern Conference Finals in 20 years when Allen Iverson was still on the Sixers? Now, I know some of y'all who listen to this podcast might feel really old when I drop that bomb, you guys. But yes, it's been 20 years since they've last reached an Eastern Conference Finals and when Allen Iverson was on that team. Crazy to think. To me, I feel like this game is easier to pick than the other matchup. And I got the 76ers winning this one. I just do not think Trey Young can take any more carrying on, carrying his team on his back. If his Robin Bogdan Bogdanovich was healthy, along with DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, who were, who were big pieces in the playoffs and in the series in general, then the Hawks would have a legitimate case to beat the Sixers in the series. I just think NBA is going to capitalize on the depleting Hawks and cruise to the Eastern Conference Finals. 
From a conference finals that's undecided to one that is. The Phoenix Suns will go up against the LA Clippers for a chance to represent the Western Conference in the NBA Finals. Before I get to my prediction though, let me break down both teams going into this series. First, let's get into the Suns. Now, as most of you know, I am a huge Suns fan, so I might sound biased in my breakdown, just let you know in advance. So, what makes this team tick? Well, we have insane depth. Even though Chris Paul's status for the conference finals is up in the air, by the way, just to let you know, breaking news just came in. Chris Paul will be out game one, but he's day-to-day for game two, so we'll see if he'll come back then. But anyway, um, despite Chris Paul being out for some of the series for uh, that for he tested positive for COVID, we have pieces that can make up for that loss. Even though the Clippers will constantly double-team Devin Booker whenever he touches the ball like he has been doing or he, or he has been trying to deal with for the first round and the, Easter, uh, the Western Conference semifinals, um, Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton have, um, will, will step up and they have been doing this entire playoffs. Let's dive into some of their numbers for this playoffs. Let's start with Ayton first. He's averaging five, uh, 15.2 points per game, 10.6 rebounds per game, and 0.6 assists per game. Now, I know the assist numbers are abysmal, but as a center with his play style, he's supposed to average double-double. So take that assist number with a grain of salt. Now, let's get into the X factor for this team and one of the best 3 and D guys in the league, Mikael Bridges. He's averaged 12 points per game, 4 rebounds per game, and about 2, uh, about two assists per game. He's shot about 45% from the field and about 36% from 3. He's also averaged 1.5 steals per game and 0.8 blocks per game and can guard the 1 through 5 no problem. With other pieces like Jay Crowder, Campaign, Dario Saric, Tory Craig, and the should have been coach of the year in Monty Williams, this team has gone places and it is not done yet by any stretch of the imagination. But now let's go to the other side of this matchup, the LA Clippers. Now at first I thought they'd be the laughing stock of the NBA, but they've proved me wrong, especially in this past series where they just knocked out the number one seeded Utah Jazz last night. Now one thing to keep in mind with this team is that their best player, Kawhi Leonard, is out with a knee injury, but could get worse as the team says that they think he has an ACL injury, which as we all know, doesn't sound great at all and can be advantage for the Suns if he's out for the series. But one shining light for this Clippers team, as evident to last night, is Terrence Mann. In the series clinching game six, he's av- he dropped 39 points and shot 70% from three. Like, no one is supposed to shoot 70% from three. That is just astronomically out of this world. I know I just did a double uh, analogy with space things, but... I don't even know how else to describe that. It was just insane. He showed the world that this is his moment and he's ready to step up when the lights are on him. Another shining light in the series has to be Paul George and has been this entire playoff for them. I think it's safe to say that we can't call him Pandemic P anymore, but Playoff P. Throughout these playoffs, he's averaged 26.1 points per game, 9.2 rebounds per game, and 5.3 assists per game. If these two guys come up big in Kawhi's absence, they are going to give the Suns a run for their money and give them a lot of problems. Now, for the prediction. I got my Phoenix Suns winning this series in six games and will go to their first NBA Finals appearance since 1993 when Charles Barkley took them to the finals to face uh, MJ. And we all know that MJ is just the GOAT and he beat us, but that's, that's another story for another day. I do think that there will be a few games that we can't stop the Clippers with guys like Mann going off and then Paul George and maybe some other guys too. But you need depth in order to win a playoff series and you need every single guy on your roster clicking. 
And I believe the Suns have a better chance of doing that than the LA Clippers do. Now, from the court to the gridiron, let's talk about Julio Jones and the fact that he is a Tennessee Titan. Now, let's break down this trade really quickly. So for, for some of y'all that might have forgotten, Atlanta sent Julio Jones and a 2023 sixth round pick to the Titans in exchange for a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick. To me, it feels like the Falcons got absolutely fleeced in this deal. A second and fourth for one of the best receivers of our generation? Yes, you can make the argument that Jones has been injury prone for the last few seasons, but he's Julio Jones. You don't just trade picks for a guy that's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, at least in my opinion. But enough of the ranting. Let's focus on the Titans now. Of course, you have to start with their quarterback, uh, QB1, Ryan Tannehill, who's probably a top 15 quarterback in the league. And that position stacked. And the fact that he's even top 15 in the league is pretty good. Then you arguably have the best running back in the game. And he rushed for over 2,000 yards last year, Derrick Henry, a.k.a. King Henry. Then you have one of the rising stars of the NFL right now, A.J. Brown, who basically was the reason why, uh, who, who's the reason why Julio's even in Tennessee in the first place. I mean, at least according to him, because he sent him a DM a few months back and then he got to the Titans. So, I mean, he's probably just capping on that, but I don't even know. If you look at those four guys alone, this Titans team is a Super Bowl contender. Yes, I know before you guys go crazy and tell me that Kansas City could beat them. I've heard of them before. I've heard of Patrick Mahomes and Tyrese Kelsey. Uh, Tyrese Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill before. I know what they're about, and I know it's going to be tough trying to beat them. But the Titans are officially in win-now mode, like Super Bowl now mode. Give us a Super Bowl now. So we'll see what the quartet of stars can bring to the Music City and hopefully bring them that ship that they desperately need. Now, from a wide receiver to a quarterback. Now, like I said, Aaron Rodgers has been in the news for some time now because of his public disliking for the Packers front office, particularly their GM, Brian Gutekinds, I probably botched that name, for not surrounding Rodgers with stars. In fact, he's so mad that he wants out of Green Bay. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you a prediction of where Rodgers will be traded to. And I think the best option for Aaron Rodgers is, drum roll, please, the Las Vegas Raiders. Derek Carr hasn't even come close to what he's expected to be when he came into the league. Even though he's been to three Pro Bowls, he's had at least 10 or more interceptions in four of his seven seasons with the Raiders. To give you some perspective on that, Rodgers has only done that in two seasons of 13 as a starting quarterback of the Packers. Another thing to keep in mind is the receiving core. With guys like Henry Ruggs, the resurgent Nelson Aguilar, and Hunter Renfro, they can make Rodgers' life so much easier in Vegas. Also, he's, he's going to be in the AFC West if he gets traded over there. So it won't be a cakewalk to another division title for the Chiefs. They're going to have to work for it so much harder for, for that division title. And lastly, I mean, it's Las Vegas. To see Rodgers perform in that big of a market like, like Las Vegas would not just bring business up exponentially for the Raiders, but they would bring a lot more eyes to this team and make them a ball to watch. Now, I got a special take for you guys, and this is about the Chicago Bears, funny enough. I had this rolling around in my mind for a few months now, and I wanted to uh, bring this out to you guys to, so you guys can hear my thoughts on this. Why Justin Fields can change the stigma in Chicago day one. I know it may seem like I'm hyping up a rookie too much, but Fields is a special talent. In this year's draft, he was at, le he was at least expected to go top 10 in the first round, but we didn't know what, what team could get him. 
until out of absolutely nowhere, the Chicago Bears traded up to get uh, trade up to number 11 in the first round to get Fields. Now, at season's end last year, I'm going to rewind this back a little bit. They were 8-8, eight and eight, and in the offseason, it seemed like they were going to begin the rebuilding phase. But they realized they needed to make this pick in order to stay relevant in the NFL. Along with that, this could be a pick that could save Matt Nagy's job in Chi-Town. Just listen to some of what the players and coaches had to say about Fields. Now, let's first talk about Matt Nagy and what he said. He said that, quote, he has that mentality of rip your heart out, unquote. And then from Bears wide receiver Darnell Mooney, and I quote, the very first pass that he threw up to me, I was smiling mid-route, end quote. Um, I don't know about y'all, but if I don't know of any receiver that will go out publicly in a press conference and say that he was smiling at how good of a pass Fields threw to him at minicamp. That means if the Bears know what's up with Fields, goodness, watch out NFL world because this dude is special or can be special. Now, I know that I know that a, I know that a game feel is way different than practice feel, but if he can replicate his torrid start to minicamp onto an NFL field, boy can this kid go places. Now, lastly, in MLB, I will give you guys my all-star game vote, but in the house of ballers way. Now, here are the rules. I got to choose up to three players per position per league. For outfielders, I get to choose three from each league. And for pitchers, yes, I'm voting on pitchers. I'll do a five-man rotation for each league starters and up to three relievers for each league. Trust me, it's, it, might, it might seem like gibberish now, but once we get into it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, let's start off with the catchers. And in the AL first, I got Salvador Perez from the Kansas City Royals going to the All-Star game. He's top three in average home runs, RBIs, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and OPS among all catchers. I mean, if you ask me, he's, he's probably one of the best hitting catchers and just getting finer with age like Tom Brady, basically. He's kind of the Tom Brady of baseball in that as, as he gets older, he's getting so much better. I think he's probably even better than in their glory days when they won the World Series in 2015 or 2016. I'm probably botching the dates on that. But anyway, let's get into the NL side. And that I think Buster Posey of the San Francisco Giants will get in. Now, I know by these two names, you're probably thinking to yourself, wait, am I being transported back to like 2014, 2015? No, this is 2021. These old dudes are going nuts this year. It's crazy. And he's second among all catchers in home runs and is sixth among all catchers in RBIs. Now let's head to the first base spot where... In the AL, there's only one man that could possibly get this spot. It's just his spot only and his spot only. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, what else is there to say about Vladdy Jr. other than the fact that he's looking like Triple Crown Miguel Cabrera? And in fact, he's had a better start than Miggy's Triple Crown. You're like, what? Miggy had probably one of the best seasons you could, like hitting seasons like of all time. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is already beating that. Like, oh my God, how is that possible? Like, look, like, like, look at this. Through 68 games, Vladdy beats Miggy in average by a bunch, on base, slugging, OPS, home runs by a bunch, and RBIs. Like, oh my God. Like, it's just, I, I, I've been watching this dude play, like on highlights and stuff, and the way that he just hits the ball is just so effortless. And the way he just has fun too. 
it's just insane how good he's been over the uh, over this year. I mean, I feel like I feel like um, like once he first got called up, he was gonna be like immediately like his twenty twenty one year, but it took him a little bit to develop to how major league pitching has been for him, and he's just been insane. And I feel like one catalyst to his like big season was that three homer game against the Washington Nationals. Now. Paul, if you're listening, I know you're probably going to get mad at me if I talk about this, but I have to. Because the way he just, like, hit the ball to all the different fields. I know it was in a spring training stadium at the time. Now they're in Buffalo. They they once were in their spring training stadium, I think, in Dunedin or something in Florida. I don't really know. But I know it's in Florida. And the way he was just hitting balls to different parts of the, parts of the field is just insane. Like, I think I think he has a very legitimate chance to win MVP this year but I feel I don't know I, I this this MVP race is gonna be so tight this year in both leagues it's gonna be beyond tight but that is a whole nother story for a few months from now so I'm not even gonna worry about that that's just a whole nother headache to worry about now in the National League I'm gonna put in Max Muncie of the LA Dodgers and Jesus Aguilar of the Miami Marlins yes Jesus Aguilar the man who was kind of just disappearing from the lore of baseball over the past couple of years is going to go to an all-star game. He's been hitting the cover off the ball. I think I saw that he had like 12 home runs and like 50-some RBIs, same with Max Muncy. So both of these guys can be really good and be really key in this all-star game. Now, for the second baseman, I got to go with the AL first. And two guys really jumped out to me almost immediately. Marcus Simeon, the Toronto Blue Jays, and Jose Altuve. And... For Marcus Simeon, he had an insane month of May. He had a 368 average, 429 on base, 702 slugging, and a 1.130 OPS. And when you have a 1.0 OPS, that means you're like astronomically good in the batter's box. Like, I know I said astronomically twice, but I just, I couldn't think of another way to describe it again because a 1.0 OPS is when you're in like the upper echelon of complete hitting. And he and along with that, he's a cherry on top of eight home runs and 22 RBIs. Like, he was insane in May. And now let's go to Jose Altuve now. And all I got to say about him is that he already has nine home runs in June over the course of what? Like, uh, what is it? 19 days? 19 days in June, he has nine home runs. So he basically almost has, like, a home run every, like, what, three days? Like, oh, my goodness. Altuve's on a different level. I mean, I know... I know, like, this the cheating. I, I, it might be a cheating scandal thing again, but I don't even know because Altuve is just doing Altuve things. Like, I, I think he's showing the world that, like, he doesn't even need cheating to, like, tell people about, like, who how good he is at baseball. I mean, 2017 was just an astronomical year for them, and we all know why that, that was the case. But, I mean, if you, I mean, it's just Altuve has been really good this year, especially in June. And now for the... For the NL second base, I think this is um, one of the. I think this is the only three position pick that I have other than outfielders, and those three are Ozzy Albies of the Atlanta Braves, Ryan McMahon of the Colorado Rockies, and Gavin Lux of the LA Dodgers. Now Albies and Lux have been having a fantastic season so far, but McMahon has like sixteen home runs this year. And part of that was because he had a three-homer game in, like, early on in the year. But if you subtract that, he still has 13 home runs, which is insane for a second baseman to have that much power. 
Like that's just unheard of at the position. So it has to be recognized that the fact that he's cha- he's 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 being an outlier in the way that he's changing the position and how it's being played. So I think that's just something to figure out. And because not a lot of people are giving this dude credit, but give this dude credit because he's been hitting bombs for the Rockies. I know it's yeah, this is the cores effect, blah blah blah. Still, McMahon has been hitting so well this year. I don't even care what anybody says. So now let's go over to the shortstop and. I got two guys in the AL, and they're both in the same division, ironically. Xander Bogarts for the Boston Red Sox and Bo Bichette for the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, I feel like for these two, I feel like these are like the only two options at shortstop, to be honest, even though shortstop is always a crowded position these days. I feel like those are the only two. And speaking of only two, like, like for the NL, it's just more prominent that there's only two guys that should be even close to prominent for this spot here. Fernando Tatis Jr. from the San Diego Padres and Brandon Crawford, the San Francisco Giants. Now, let's talk about Tatis first. After he uh, got COVID and came back, he's been like, I don't know if COVID gave him superpowers or something. Like, I'm, I'm so confused because usually when you have a virus, it usually brings your stamina down, brings your health down. But it did the exact opposite for, for Fernando Tatis. Like, he was just on another level. He probably had like a, I saw a stat that he had like a 360 plus average uh, probably like 17 to 20 home runs. Like, I was just insane. He like He's at a whole nother like, level. I mean, I don't know why people just think that he's overrated. Paul, I'm talking to you. <clears throat> I don't understand why people think he's overrated, even though he hasn't played 162 games. Like, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he's played a full season yet. He's putting up some insane numbers that just almost can't be replicated. And he's just, he's just doing it with the swag of like, of, of like a Jalen Ramsey that's trying to get in your head with how he plays and just getting at you and just and just having fun like that's what baseball is and if and if you're not if you're not done with that I don't even know I don't even know anymore because having fun is probably the like one and only premise of a kid's game like these guys are playing a kid's game like y'all are supposed to have so much fun playing a kid's game at a professional level where you're getting paid millions and millions of dollars to do so Anyway, that's a whole nother discussion. Um, next up, we have Brandon Crawford from the Giants. I feel like he's he's been he's been like disappearing from baseball ever so slowly, but then he just came out of nowhere this year and just went off. He's been hitting the cover off the ball this year. He's he's been like, <laughs> I heard this guy saying that he's been uh, he's uh, the Giants have been drinking the fountain of youth because there's a lot of old guys on that team, and he's one of the like he's one of the biggest drinkers. He's probably carrying a gallon gallon of. Youth, youth water because he's just been going nuts this year. He has like, I don't know, like 10 plus home runs this year. Uh, probably a lot more than that, <laughs> if we're going to be honest. But anyway, uh, let's go to the AL spot and the third base spot. And I only got one, I only got one player for this spot. Rafael Devers of the Boston Red Sox. To me, I feel like he just exudes all-star potential because he, he's been hitting the cover off the ball. He's He's always been an RBI machine ever since 2019, and even though he had an iffy 2020 last year, he's he's been replicating that 2019 campaign where he got where he, I think he led the league in, I think he led the league in RBIs that year. So he's just he's just been on another level in 162 game seasons. And then for the NL side, I got two guys that were in past All Star games: Chris Bryant of the Chicago Cubs and Nolan Arenado of the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, Chris Bryant has had a very resurgent year. Same thing with, I think, Brandon Crawford, but, like, a little less disappearing. Like, ever since his MVP year in, I think, 2016, he's been, like, 
kind of gradually falling off the cliff a little bit and kind of getting mad at the coach for manipulating his service time or whatever. But he's been going crazy. He, I think he has like 13 home runs and 39 RBIs and like an 800 OPS or something like that, which is really good. And same with Arenado. He's kind of, he, kind of has, he kind of has similar numbers. But I mean, he's known Arenado. He's going to make crazy jump throws, just shading away from the foul line. He's going to just like flip it. Like he's, he, he, he should probably just be a quarterback. And the fact that he just chucks the ball on a line like all the time, making those like crazy, crazy, like crazy foul ball plays. Um, and now for the outfielders. Now for for this one, I had to do that three three per. Uh, now the three now the three per position is gone. I just have three outfielders, which is the premise of baseball to begin with. But anyway, um, for the AL, I have Cedric Mullins, Alex Verdugo, and Adolis Garcia. Now I know you're having to say that Rome. Why did you put Trout, Bucks, and Judge? Whatever the stars, stars. It's just like there's a star and all star. Whatever, whatever. Like, I feel like these guys are just hitting and playing so much better. I mean, Trout, Trout's injured. Buxton just came back. I think it might be too little too late to get on his all-star campaign. And the judge has kind of been up and down this entire year. I feel like Cedric, Alex, and Adolis have been consistent this entire year. I mean, Cedric Cedric has, like, constantly... Like, he had, like, a 5-for-5 five five day with, like, two bombs. Like, this man is just on another level. Like... He's been hitting the ball out of Camden pretty easily. And then Alex Verdugo, I think it's time we give Alex Verdugo his 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 props because I I think I think Boston fans are kind of just like, oh, he wasn't like Mookie Betts. We needed a Mookie Betts, blah, blah, blah. Like, he hasn't been bad, Boston. Like, y'all gotta chill. Like, Verdugo has been pretty much amazing for 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 the Red Sox. And I think he's even doing better than Mookie Betts is this year, to be honest with you. At least in my opinion. So, I mean, I feel like the Red Sox definitely, definitely scored on that trade to get him because he's been a great piece in that lineup for a long time. He can hit the cover off the ball. And Adolis Garcia, and I want to talk about his Rookie of the Year thing for a second because I think he could easily win AL Rookie of the Year this year, especially because of that May he had where he hit like six or seven home runs. He's just... I, again, he's one of those guys that just has, hits the cover off the ball, and in like I think at Pitchers Park in Globe Life Field, because it seems pretty like far out, the, like the dimensions and all that, uh, except if for the foul lines or anything. But like I feel like he's just been hitting really great this year. I feel like he's going to do really well, and he's just going to do, do what Adolis Garcia's got to do. I mean, there's nothing else for the for the Rangers to do. I mean, they they got nothing to lose. They don't have a great team, and Adolis Garcia is just going to just play i mean he doesn't have to worry about them winning games or going to a playoff spot or even winning a world series like all he has to do is just play and i think that's why he's doing really well this year now for the nl i feel like it was like way easier to pick for the uh, for the nl than the al oh by the way for the al let's go back to that a little bit when i when i was picking mine like i was looking at adolius garcia and judge's numbers and they were like almost identical so i had to do like i had to ask siri to do a random number between one and two so I, I, it was, it was, it was a coin flip for me, but I had to go with Adolis Garcia. He was just, he was just, I think he's been, a, I think he's been better than Judge this year, at least in my opinion. So anyway, back to the NL. I got Ronald Acuna of the Atlanta Braves, Nick Castellanos, and Jesse Winker of the Cincinnati Reds. Now, I feel like it's, just, it's these three like wholeheartedly throughout the entire year. They were so consistent. I mean, Acuna's Acuna. Nick Castellanos is doing crazy things at the batter's box. I think he has like a 1.0 some OPS. 
And same with Winker. He has two, three home run games. Two, three homer games in a span of, like, a couple weeks. Like, he's been doing... Like, people have been calling him Barry Bonds, and with good reason, because he could just hit, like, like crazy. He's been doing insane things. And now for the ALDH, I think I think we can all agree that Shohei Otani's going to make it. I think it's just simple enough. I don't even have to explain it. And now for the AL starters, now for the pitching... I think I think the top two guys are going to be Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon. I feel like those two guys have been pitching really well for the White Sox this year, along with guys like Giolito and Dylan Cease. Keep an eye on Dylan Cease, by the way. He's been insane this year. Uh, I just feel like that rotation is probably like one of the best in baseball, to be honest with you. I feel like I feel like Rodon and Lynn have been pitching really well this year, and like they they like both of them can make. A Cy Young finalist, like it, it's it's crazy how well they're doing this year. And Kyle Gibson is the third guy I have on this list, and he's been doing really well this year too. He has like a four and a record with like a two point two something ERA. He's been pitching really well for the Rangers this year. Again, like Adolis Garcia, Kyle Gibson's got nothing to lose. They're not going to go to the playoffs. We all know that. He's just playing, and the fact that he's just like pitching really well and not worrying about things is probably why he's in this place in the first place. And then. I got Garrett Cole from the New York Yankees because I just, I mean, I had to. Like, even though he's not pitching that great this year, I mean, he's Garrett Cole. I mean, you could say what you want about the foreign substances and um, how that's diminished pitchers' games and whatever. Like, that is just a whole complex maze of crap that I really don't want to get into because it's just like you can pick a totally different amount of things that can go with it. But it's just, I mean, Garrett Cole is Garrett Cole, no matter how you slice it. Like, he's, he, like, he's, he's human. He's going to have bad outings. I mean, he had, like, an eight-inning, he had an eight-inning game with, like, two, two strikeouts. I mean, I mean, that's not really like him at the end of the day. But, I mean, Garrett Cole is Garrett Cole for a reason. He's just going to get it done for you no matter what. And then I have Shohei Otani as the last guy on the starting rotation. You know why? Because I think... What who is it? Kevin Cash? I think Kevin Cash is going to put Shohei Otani on the mound and hit in the All Star game. I know it's going to be crazy. It's going to be awesome. I, I I really hope that this happens because if we see him pitch and hit in the All Star game, it's 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 going to be it's going to be it's going to be surreal, honestly. And now for the NL starters, I have. Jacob DeGrom, because he's Jacob DeGrom, he's been nuts this year. He's, he's pitching one-on-one fastballs on the corners. Like, how is that possible, for one thing? Uh, Kevin Gosman for the San Francisco Giants, he's been pitching really well this year. Trevor Rogers and the Miami Marlins. Now, this guy is going to probably win uh, NL Rookie of the Year, at least in my opinion. He's my early pick because he's, he's been pitching super well for this Marlins team and keeping them in contention and giving them their best chance to win every fifth day. So I really feel like Trevor Rodgers could be really something special and be a and be a um, main guy in that rotation, along with guys like Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez. And then Brandon Woodruff of the Milwaukee Brewers is my fourth guy. And then I have Zach Wheeler for the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, I know he's been kind of up and down for the Mets and now the Phillies too, but I feel like he's really breaking out this year and could be a dark horse candidate for the NL Cy Young. Hint, hint, keep that in there. Um, or keep, uh, keep that in mind. Uh, AL relievers, I have three for each. I have Liam Hendricks from the Chicago White Sox, Matt Barnes, who had a really good, I think, April, but not so good in May. He has like a three ERA, not doing so hot, but I feel like I feel like his April could be enough to put him in. 
And then I rolled this Chapman in the New York Yankees. Now he's kind of in that same boat as Barnes where he had a dominant like first month of the year and then this year, and then this month, uh, like the first couple months of the year and then June has just been kind of like meh for him. So, I mean, but I feel like those earlier months could definitely get a guy like him in. And then for the NL, I got Craig Kimbrell, uh, who's been tied with Mark Lancey, who's my second guy for saves in the NL. And then Josh Hader, because I just, he's Josh Hader. Like, he's just going to throw some insane heat and that slider to go with it, with his arm angle, just way, like almost three quarters. Like, he's just, he's just so tough to hit. Like, like, even though he will have, even though he'll have bad seasons here and there, like, he is just always so tough to hit in situations. Like, especially, like, if, if the Brewers are winning in the, in the ninth inning, you could pretty much wrap it up because it's over from there because Hater's just going to lock you down ASAP. Well, guys, that is it for this episode of the House of Bars podcast. Now, I do have an Instagram, too, where y'all can follow me, and I'll do, like, instant reactions on certain things that come up on my recommended so if you want if you want to follow me on there, it's H-O-U-Z-Z-O-F-B-A-L-L-E-R-Z-Z, House of Ballers. The same name as the podcast, so it'll be easier to remember for you. H-O-U-Z-Z-O-F-B-A-L-L-E-R-Z-Z. Now, I'm out of here, guys. I got to go do some stuff, but I'm out of here. Peace!